Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome to another episode of Better Words. Hello, welcome back. We hope you enjoyed our first episode. Got some good ones coming up this season. Yeah, I'm so excited about this season. I mean, it's very cliche to say, oh, what a busy time of year, but it's been very busy, but I've been very much enjoying dedicating time to this podcast, as always, yeah, it's into always. reading a heap of great books. Yeah, and it means that we get to see each other more and talk to each other more and stuff like that, so <laughs> even more than we already do. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's like especially busy for me at the moment because um, I just got a part-time job in a bookshop. I'm honestly so jealous because I've <laughs> never worked in a bookshop. I know, it's literally the dream. <laughs> it's the dream. Well, I mean, we're recording this before I actually start, so, you know, we'll check back in in another episode I'm sure but yeah I'm sure it's very fun I'm sure it'll be very fun but yes can't wait to hear a bit about your bookshop adventures yeah um and I guess maybe I'll explain why I'm so busy as well which is um obviously long-time listeners will have heard the story many times that we met doing a music community musical theater production of Anything Goes back in Rockhampton um and since moving to Sydney obviously like COVID and things I haven't I haven't like (laughs) gone back to my hobbies and done these things that I like but yeah this at the end of this year I've been um I joined a new musical society and I've been in the ensemble for a production of Jersey Boys which when is this going live because the performances are the first two weekends of November so it might actually be happening I'll be dancing a little harder (laughs) I think it's next week when this goes out it'll be next week that you're doing it (laughs) yeah yeah so this time next week you'll be dancing I'll be on stage dancing a lot in sparkly dresses it's very exciting yeah I mean great (laughs) costumes and stuff as well yeah, I do have great I can't costumes. Wait to, I love yeah, costumes. I can't They're wait so to fun. see them. Great era for costumes. Love it. It'd be so yeah. good. Um, and I saw the little... It's very much yeah, my vibe. I saw the little preview clip that you posted, the like trailer of like everybody. And like I was like, oh, there she is. There she is. Dancing. At yeah. rehearsal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Love it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah you, yeah, you are very busy and we've tried to record sort of before and then you've got like your show weeks and then we've got some more things sort of after and stuff so yeah we're, we're trying to be little organized little organized book nerds this time yeah doing our best we'll see yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yes um so yeah all right we have two new book recommendations mm-hmm. yes michelle what are you recommending <laughs> i was gonna throw to you first uh <laughs> oh. Well, too uh, late. I went, I did it already. Um, okay, so I am recommending a book called, I don't know why I'm holding it up like it's a YouTube video, just for you to see, Caitlin. No one else can see it. Just for me. Um, I'll I stop short cover. of describing the whole cover for you. But it is called Factory Girls by Michelle Galen. Um, and obviously, like every time I glance at the title, I, I just have to do a double take because obviously it's Michelle, same as my name. But then like, it's a short last name starting with G A, so I'm always just like, "What?" Yeah, 
<laughs> it's quite funny. <laughs> Is that for me? No? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I will try and dig back and find this, but I actually read and probably recommended um, on an episode like years ago, her debut novel, uh, Big Girl, Small Town. Um, and so when we were in Dublin a few I was going to say a few weeks ago, but it was at the start of September. Um, probably about a month ago now, we were in Dublin for a weekend seeing James A. Castor, our favourite comedian. Um, and I talked about that in our little Substack publication. So I'll link to that because that's always a fun end of the month read. Um, but I went into a lovely bookshop that we went into, you know, five years ago called The Winding Stair. And I was having a good old look around while my husband was um, sitting in the husband chair and being very bored. Um, and the Ken song came on the radio at one point And I was like, this is perfect. Oh my God, yes. really? <laughs> It was really funny. Um, anyway, so I was having a good old look around and I actually found this book in the YA section. Um, but it's very much like older YA and a crossover sort of novel. Like I actually think if I had read this when I was 17, I wouldn't have really appreciated it. Um, not to say that 17-year-olds can't, but it's got a vibe of like normal people sort of Yes, the characters might be teenagers, but it feels a lot more literary than that, if that makes sense. Like it it, mm -hmm. it feels like a yeah. lot of adults would really enjoy, ad adult readers would really enjoy this. And it felt like a bit, um, yeah, I was like, oh, it's strange to see it sort of put in with stuff that's like very, very teen fiction. Um, so anyway, the premise of the novel, basically it's that, and th this, as soon as I say it, like, it's going to remind you of Derry Girls, which is a great comparison, but this is definitely more serious than that. that. But yeah, it's very much Derry Girls vibe in my head, picturing characters from Derry Girls in this. So it's the summer of 1994 and Maeve Murray wants to pass her exams, make some money so she can escape her shitty wee town in Northern Ireland. Um, with her best friends, Caroline and Aoife, Maeve bags herself a job at the local shirt factory and it's set to be the summer of their lives, but first she's got to iron 800 shirts a day to keep her job, dodge the attentions of her slimy English boss and survive a tit-for-tat paramilitary campaign that's as brutal as her relationship with her mum. As tensions rise between the Catholic and Protestant workforce and Maeve counts down to the week's results... She notices things aren't adding up at the factory and it seems like revealing the truth may just be her ticket out of town. Um, so, yeah, it's – I would say it's, like, quite a slow-moving book, but it's so beautifully written, like, so, so beautifully written. And I think um, Michelle Galen definitely has a gift for writing and it's just so, like, funny – these tiny little passages that are so funny and you're like, oh, that's so clever. Like, how did you think of that? Um, and there's mm. a lot of flashbacks to, like, Maeve, Maeve's life growing up in Northern Ireland, the, the troubles and the tensions. Um, you know, she describes being at, like, a school, um, like a nativity concert thing and there being a bomb explosion nearby and, like, her and her oh sister God. being, like, she just sort of – has this really visceral description of like her mum running them a bath and like putting newspaper down so that she could brush all the glass off her. And like, it's just, it's really, oh, it's really beautiful. Wow. And it took me 
quite a while to read. Like I started this a month ago and I keep picking it up and putting it down because I did want to give it my full attention. It's a beautiful book to read. It's beautifully written and like so many kind of feelings there about wanting to leave and um, sort of the the idea that if you want to leave, there's something wrong with you or, you know, she has a lot of trouble too with one of her best friends is like quite posh. And so she's mm-hmm. trying to get into Cambridge and there's a lot of discussions there about like the privileges versus Maeve's family um, because the other thing that gets revealed quite early on is that Maeve's older sister Deirdre um, has like died you don't really find out why it's quite complicated as to why um, a little bit later but it sort of seemed to be stuff that happened when she left town and went to, to university so there's sort of that cloud hanging over Maeve's desire to leave as well um and you know so she's sort of comparing her friends kind of privilege and going well yeah but all my mum wants is like to have her daughter alive again and there's lots of it's it the actually reading the um the blurb out sort of makes it sound less serious than it is but yeah it's it's quite it's quite a special little book i think and like quite a hidden gem it's really really beautiful um in like quite a like melancholy way um yeah yeah. so she's just got to be like an auto buy author for me now because that's two of her books and i'd say big girl small town was also a bit like that where not a lot happened um but it's just lots of feelings and emotions, which is our favorite kind of book. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so, yeah, I um, I think it's, I, I don't know if it's wrong to say it's YA. Like, obviously that's how it's, but it just feels a lot older. And I don't think I would have appreciated it as much. I think I would have thought, oh, this is a bit boring. Like if I'd read it, you know, yeah. 10 years ago. It's interesting. Mm. Yeah. About, yeah, whether or not it should be classified as YA. It's definitely got that, like, crossover appeal, and I feel like it's funny, isn't it? Because yeah. with something like Normal People, it starts when the characters are about the same age, yeah. but it's very, like, literary fiction. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's just interesting sometimes, those sort of distinctions and how, where you draw the line of where to categorise it, because I think yeah, totally. some people are probably really missing out, especially if they like Dairy Girls. There's definitely, I mean, it's not, it's definitely more serious than Dairy Girls, but um, there's definitely that feeling and that kind of scenes evoked from Dairy Girls that I could definitely see a lot of people enjoying that book. So that's Factory Girls by Michelle Galen. Oh, fantastic. Um, In comparison, a lot happens in the (laughs) book I'm going to recommend. So... (laughs) Uh, it's also probably a lot more fun, um, although that book does sound really good. Um, so my recommendation is The Boyfriend Candidate nice. by Ashley Winstead. Sounds fun. <laughs> um, yes, it is. So this book um, comes out in November, I believe, uh, in Australia. Um, yes, at the start of November. Um, it is being published by the Harlequin division at HarperCollins. Um, so I was able to get a copy through work, but I wasn't, I'm not like working on it. Um, but it is a super fun, like TikToky rom-com that is 
God, it's just excellent. I really, really enjoyed it. And a lot of us at work have been reading it and just loving it recently. So the premise of The Boyfriend Candidate is Alexis is a uh, like primary school librarian, elementary school, sorry, it's set in Texas, um, elementary school librarian. Um, and she's like sort of a couple years past like a big breakup and really needs to shake things up. And so she decides I'm going to go out and have a one night stand. And so she goes to a bar and she meets the guy and like, it's all going well. And they are making their way to the hotel next door. And then suddenly, um, an apartment, uh, an apartment, sorry, like a building next door is like burning down. And so they're evacuated. Um, and, uh, in both in sort of a state of uh, partially undressed um, and turns out he's a local politician and so they are photographed and the, and the photos are like all over the local news the next day. Um, so Logan is a local politician running for, I forget, governor? I don't know. <laughs> not the I point. I don't remember, honestly. Anyway, not the point. He's in the middle of a big campaign and he's like the young progressive candidate compared to sort of the current older, like, well-known, you know, candidate. So, like, the opposition's whole tactic, basically, is, like, too young, you know, bit of a playboy, whatever. And so with all of this... uh crazy press about him being caught with some random girl with his shirt off and everything were in a fire you know like crazy um they start a fake relationship and they tell everyone that they're actually serious and had kept their relationship private for the past year or something um and then she so in return obviously his reputation he's keeping like a better reputation and it's good for the campaign and shows that he's committed and you know all of that um and in return she originally asks for just kind of like a blank offer she's like you'll give me what i want when i figure out what it is and eventually (laughs) she starts just bringing all of this um education uh reform with like books and um support for libraries and all of that stuff for children into the campaign um, and like fundraising and all of that stuff. So there's a lot of that stuff about like support for schools and libraries and like not banning books and educating children and fundraising and all of that in the political um, area. All the while, it's like they're getting to know each other and like what's real, what's not real. Um, also, just to like throw in the mix her sister is also a local politician on like a slightly different level and so then they're like your sister needs to endorse him and she knows it's fake and it like all gets kind of complicated it's so fun i read it like you know such a fun rom-com to read in like a weekend um it sounds so good i love really, a fake really, dating trope <laughs> i love fake dating in rom-coms because i mean god you just hope to god it would never happen in mm. real life because what like it will never work like in the rom-coms it never works they always get caught or it goes wrong or something well, one person and has then feelings it, like, works and then the because... other one's like no this is just fake like <laughs> yeah like it just will never ever ever go well so i hope to god this has never happened to anyone in real life 
Um, but that's why it's such an amazing rom-com trope. And it's so good when they're both really getting something out of it. And I was slightly skeptical earlier on in this book because it did seem like Alexis was just going to go along with it. And I was like, why should you, like, what are you going to get out of it? He could be elected into whatever position he's going for. I don't remember. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it's like, what are you going to get? And then she really does, like, go for it and, um, yeah, comes into her own and realizes that she does want to, like, fight for a lot of these things. Um, And, of course, like, you know, it works out, obviously. That's not a spoiler. I mean, it's a rom-com, yeah. Uh, all, All... it's a rom-com. We all know what's going to happen. Um, so read it to enjoy all of the fun along the way. You know, all the shenanigans with the press and her family and his family and their friends and all of that stuff. God, it is so fun. And it's very... So yeah, tropes, fake dating, um, slow burn, um, I guess a bit of forks, forced Oh my god, I can't say the words. Forced proximity. <laughs> um, yeah, all of that fun stuff. It's very, very fun. And yes, out at the very beginning of November. Yeah, that sounds really great. The boyfriend candidate. Nice. That sounds so good. Oh, absolutely amazing. Um, I feel like yeah. my first recommendation was a little bit more the vibe of the book that we are featuring today though like a little bit like not quite sad girl lit but like melancholy yeah. anyway <laughs> to be fair the book i recommended is also published by harlequin yes, and so is true. this book yeah. so there's connections not all that around we need to but we need to say <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Um, So yeah, we really hope that you enjoy this interview with Elise. We had a lot of fun chatting about the book, but also, you know, her time on stage, all this sort of stuff. It was wonderful. Yeah, a lot of stuff. We had a great time. Our guest today has been described as one of the most interesting young playwright voices in Australian theatre by Arts Review. A Melbourne-based playwright and author, she trained in London at the Royal Court Theatre and has been a resident writer at the Melbourne Theatre Company. But today we are talking about her debut novel, that is One Day We're All Going to Die. Welcome to Better Words, Elise Esterhurst. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. We will definitely be talking about your theatre work a little bit later, but we're obviously going to start the the bookish interview with the book. Elise, can you please just tell us a bit about One Day We're All Going to Die for everyone who maybe hasn't heard of it or who hasn't read it yet? So One Day We're All Going to Die is a story set in Melbourne. It's a It features a character called Naomi, who's our central protagonist. She's 27, she's Jewish, um, she works at a Jewish museum, and she's really just uh, trying to go about her life and figure out things, as you do when you're 27, uh, but finds that, you know, the, the weight of expectation from her parents and also having... Uh, a grandmother who was a Holocaust survivor um, becomes quite, makes her life quite complicated. Uh, so it's just, you know, it's about this young woman trying to navigate, you know, 
dating and relationships and work and family, you know, with this weight of, um, I suppose, history and trauma, you know, following her everywhere she goes. <laughs> and um, and quite, quite messy relationships sometimes as well. <laughs> yes, yes, messy relationships as, as, you know, I don't know about you, but um, as I had my fair, a fair few messy relationships in my 20s and probably 30s as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're always yeah. there. Um, and... <laughs> Are they? We can talk about that later. <laughs> um, it, I guess the, the comparisons make, make sense. It seems like there's very um, sort of heavy themes, but your writing's been described as being compared to like Sally Rooney or Meg Mason how do you sort of feel about that as a comparison well I guess I I you know I loved both Sally Rooney's first two books and I mean I haven't read her third book uh and I absolutely adored Sorrow and Bliss so they're like pretty legendary comparisons uh if you ask me (laughs) um Yes, I guess like how do you feel it in more generally, I guess, then like, obviously it sort of all feeds back into this label of like sad girl lit um, and like a bit of a, I guess, trend in the publishing industry. Like there's a lot of books coming out mm. sort of relating to that, you know. Yes. Do you think though that this is something that's sort of here to stay <laughs> and this is stories that people want and resonate with? I hope so. I guess I I didn't write with the intention of writing like a sad girl lit novel or or a <laughs> millennial coming of age novel, but I did want to really reflect on that period of your life which there's a lot of change, there's a lot of, you know, trying to figure out, you know, one's identity. But I think the the difference that this book offers is that you know, the character is very much, you know, embedded in in her community and in a culture that um, maybe readers won't be super familiar with or might be surprised by. So I think it's, it's kind of, I hope, a nice point of difference. And, you know, for me, I wanted to look at that experience of what it is to be in the third generation living after, like, Holocaust trauma and I think there's been quite a lot of literature written you know from the perspective maybe you know we've got holocaust survivor testimonials and then we have um, testimonials of what it's like to be you know the child of 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 a holocaust survivor Uh, and and then you know and then we have you know quite a few books of you know people researching or going on quests to find out you know what what their family's history were. I mean, there's so many stories that were lost and then found and, you know, but I just wanted to write about it from, you know, someone who's just living their life with this huge, huge thing, but it's in the, you know, it's in the background. Um, Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was just, uh, for me, that's what I wanted to explore. So maybe less about millennial sad girl angst and more about um, what it means to be um, human. No, just joking. Um, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was 
like, I have to finish that sentence yeah. in a profound way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what, it, what you know, it seems yeah. of intergenerational trauma. But again, like it's, I, I've, I've been told, you know, that the book is very funny or that it's, um, you, you know, so it's, it's interesting because I'm like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> no that was actually that sort of leads to my next question um because you know I was looking at reviews and stuff and and my own experience of reading it is that this is dark and light again like with sorrow and bliss to make the comparison you know when we talked about that with with Meg you know she said it literally is like sorrow and and bliss like there are these lighter harder moments and you have this great way of like these really witty asides and these really nice observational sort of things that I really found light and enjoyable. And actually, um, you know, one reviewer described it as like lighthearted joy. How do you achieve (laughs) that balance and walk that line between like inherited intergenerational (laughs) trauma and And also like a funny, messy, late 20s experience (laughs) um (laughs) well from personal experience uh I think I I think that um so much of Jewish culture is about survival through finding joy and laughter in you know in sometimes the bleakest moments I think if you if you've grown up surrounded by like an aura of just like persecution we we may not be persecuted this week or this year or this decade but you know it's it's coming and it'll come again and don't get too comfortable I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case but that is kind of what is ingrained or instilled in you from a very young age um and that is like that is due to you know in my experience growing up with holocaust um survivor you know in my family holocaust survivors in my family and um so it's still very close it's still very close and very raw um so i don't really know any other way to be and I'm really glad that that came through in my writing and that I was able um to kind of you know uh demonstrate that that balance I suppose um yeah it's partly it's part I think it's a survival mechanism but I think that's life as well because life is for whoever you don't have to be a Jew to feel all the messiness and the yuckiness um and not you know, also find the hilarity or joy in that as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I have to say, mm-hmm. so I, um, as our listeners know, and as I believe you know, I work at HarperCollins, but not in the Harlequin division who published your book. Yeah. Um, but so, I mean, everyone I work with has been talking about your book for ages and we were all so excited for it to come. And I mean, even my, the description, yeah. the comparisons, we were always going to have this book <laughs> we no matter who so the publisher excited. was. It was exactly. always on our radar. But um, one of my co-workers um, in the adult books division uh, is Jewish and I'm sure she's posted on Instagram about this book already, but she like, ever she just kept talking about it and everyone, um, she like related to it in a, in that specific way, obviously, but so did the rest of us, you know, and it's like the same, but then 
um, my coworker Lizzie is the one who's like, but the line about prawn cocktail juice and the rest of us are like, well, we don't get that bit necessarily, but we still get it. <laughs> like, you don't have to get all the little references, but if you do, I'm sure it adds so much more. <laughs> That's that's really good, and I, I think just like being able, I think being able to the fact that you know, locating it in a very specific place and time and community, um, in a way almost help helps make it relatable, just because it, it yeah. grounds it, I guess. Yeah, and I think like in terms of like the craft of writing, I think people think, oh, I won't be you know, I'll keep it vague so people can imagine these things. But actually, the exact opposite is true. You should be more specific. You should, yeah, those funny things, even if we don't get them, like, we can still see that it is, like, something and it still paints a picture in your mind. I don't even know what I'm really saying with this, but I think, yeah, that is, I I guess, a fault of, like, like, yeah. I did very do a very short stubble onto Goodreads and I don't really I have real been very disciplined and not been looking don't but then do. I did <laughs> I did and no, someone someone who said, was really angry about there not being you know and things not being explained and said she didn't want to read the whole book um having to google every, every everything and you know and and uh there should have been a glossary and you know and so of course that that did send me into a minor spin but I think you know my instinct and the publisher's instinct was uh was just you know we here 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 is here is like a microcosm of like a world um yeah take from it what 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 you want yeah yeah and you can just read and enjoy the book like it's certainly not like you don't if you want to know more then you can look at things or look things up but like just reading from our perspective of having no knowledge of this part of Australian culture and Australian Jewish culture, you know, I, we both like it didn't impact our enjoyment at all. Not, that, no. you know, who am I? To, we, we got one bad review once about how we talked too much at the start, and now I put, um, uh, like when the interview starts, like a time code, it, yeah, literally <laughs> to be like, skip through us if you want. We're we're horrible. If just you don't, skip yeah. through up. Don't if you don't like us, just skip it. <laughs> So, we still you know, so, yeah, like yeah. we still talk yeah. about it. But yeah, like years later, I'm still like, I t- if I recommend the podcast to people, I'm like, you know, we give recommendations at the start. But if you don't like that, that's fine. You can just skip. I always put the <laughs> time code. It. Still slightly traumatized, but you'll be <laughs> yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Never and to be honest, also- it was probably someone who listened for a particular author and then was like, who the hell are these who people? Are like, these yeah. <laughs> So oh, fair. anyway, okay. no. Well, there's, there's, there's plenty of stuff that's not necessarily about being Jewish. I think. Oh my god, right? so much. Like, and I'm gonna no. I'm gonna pull out some stuff. Like Kate, Caitlin's gonna ask um, a very pertinent question now, but I'm gonna pull out some <laughs> a quote later that I literally like screenshotted because I had it at um, electronic proof and like sent to Caitlin. And was like, we need to ask about this. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, now I'm scared. That's true. <laughs> No, no I don't good. think you need to be scared, but we will talk about um, the Jewish parts of the book, I think, because even as you're saying about like, oh, should there have been a glossary? Like, I think no, because even as we've already said to you with our limited knowledge, there are still so many things that I think a lot of people know about, probably particularly 
being culturally Jewish, like some different words and different um, traditions and things like this. And it's like, I mean, my references are like the nanny and the marvelous Mrs. Sure. Maisel. Yeah, and there's plenty you know. of there's plenty of Jewy stuff in there. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah, in both of those shows. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think what is really interesting is that um, I think most people's pop culture references for, you know, some, you know, like Yiddish phrases or like what they know about being Jewish probably is American and specifically probably New York, yeah. but or European or anything. Most and just Australians like not, references. Yeah, like oh, most yeah. Australians references, sure. you're right. And not and not really anything actually local. Um, and I'll be honest, I don't know how big the Jewish population of Australia is. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, there's not many. And as we said to you before we started recording, Michelle and I both grew up in regional Queensland where there is not a big Jewish population. Um, so much so that when I was in a high school, we did a production of 13 The Musical, which is about great, a, an American in an Watched American teenage times. boy. Yeah, great. An American <laughs> teenage boy preparing for his bat mitzvah. And my dad bar said mitzvah. Yeah, bat mitzvah, sorry. Bar, bar mitzvah. mitzvah. That's all right. Um and when we were, you know, preparing this musical and I was explaining to my parents what the story was about because they were like, And you're doing that here like they thought that that would be a good choice to perform here and I was like well it's still just all about being 13 years old it's not necessarily about you left out the part where you went to like a catholic was it catholic or like it was catholic wasn't it this was community theater oh it was oh sorry we didn't actually I got confused with the fact that you also you also did all your school theater productions (laughs) I did do Jesus Christ Superstar at my catholic high school as well so you know so there was like a balance um, it was a balance. I'm sure the cultural consultant yeah. that you hired on that on that show oh, of the, 13 was super helpful. I mean, it's the mid it what it's the yeah. mid 2010s is that a, like yeah, I don't yeah. It's fine. At, at my Jewish high school we performed um I was Dorothy in the the Wiz, which is like the Motown version of The Wizard of Oz. Which, oh, yeah. I don't know. It's like a bunch of Jewish kids doing Motown. <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, no. Are you really doing that musical? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah. yes, all of this to say, really, um, what has the response been like from, you know, people like us who have had no idea about the Australian Jewish community and reading your book and all of these references that we've been talking about in there? Like, what's the reader response been like? But not that one review. (laughs) Apart from that one review. Except for that one. uh, And all the other ones on Goodreads that I won't read. Uh, No, the the response has been overwhelmingly positive and... uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I don't think the publisher would have published it if, if they'd thought it was too niche, because mm. they're at the end of the day they're a commercial um, publisher and, <laughs> and it's in, in their interest. But they, you know, I feel, I feel like starting out, you know, and, and my publisher is not Jewish, my editor wasn't Jewish, so you know, we had there were a lot of these conversations in that process of, you know, what, you know, what to explain, what doesn't need to be explained. Um, is is quite interesting to to kind of go th- go through all of that, but really, reader response has just been overwhelmingly amazing, and people seem to really be connecting with it in that way that they can really identify with um, Naomi that 
the main character that they identify with that experience of you know familial expectation um you know relate you know intergener multi-generational relationships whether it be your grandmother um or your parents or you know siblings um and dating and all of that stuff you know mm. i just i i feel like people connected connected to that the heart of the story uh so it's it's been really really great because um, I mean I guess that's the thing as happy. well that like <laughs> Australia is a place and I mean a, a lot of a lot of countries now with, with like the way that we have like these multicultural societies where there's a lot of immigration and movement of yeah. people is that people who maybe whose parents came from you know say Vietnam or whose grandparents came from Vietnam and that like they're still going to relate to some of the expectations and some of the things that happen from people even if it's not relating to the Jewishness as we've said you know that idea of the yeah. expectations around um starting a yeah. new life somewhere and what that means and and the cultural aspects totally. of trying to date within that culture and you know, whether you, you know, marry out of that culture or whatever. Like, I think there's still so much in there that people across a lot of different, like, facets of life will find, will find interesting. Um, Yeah. And I think it's like, like your point about just us not, you know, not, not having many reference points for, you know, Jews in Australian culture. You know, we, I think that's, that something kind of exciting to me about putting this book out into the world because uh, because for us too, you know, like as, as, as a Jewish person, you don't really see yourself represented, uh, reflected back at you, you know, like love John Safran, but, you know, <laughs> he's like the, well, we need to roll a Jew out. Okay, here we go. Yeah. This is John Safran yeah. again. Here's our fun. Like, come yeah. on, guys. We got to just like we, you know, we we we've got we've got more. I mean, is in there the is there something too? I mean, obviously, Caitlin mentioned like New York Jewishness. Um, is there something that's like mm. for you, marks Australian Jewishness or something like? Because obviously, each culture like intermingles and you pick up these things. Is there stuff in your Australian Jewish culture that you know is uniquely? different about being in Australia Australian, yeah. I'm just yeah. I'm fascinated well, by it's this. really yeah I think it's interesting like like there's even like there's there's differences even between like the Melbourne Jewish community and the Sydney Jewish mm-hmm. community and it's like oh you're a Sydney Jew oh well then blah blah you do you know and it's mostly to do with um with stories of migration and how that happened and really like which is a different story to the New York story or, you know, to, to other dia- um, diasporas or to, you know, Jews living in Israel. Because really, especially specifically in Melbourne, we are a Holocaust survivor community. And outside of Israel, proportionally, for some reason, Melbourne has the highest proportion of Holocaust survivor um oh my god really in the world i would have guessed like i would have guessed america so it's like, like that's insane why don't we learn about that at school well a lot of <laughs> like, like, we, we did all things on the holocaust i'm outraged <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's i think 
think there's about 100,000 Jews in Australia. There's about 40,000 in Melbourne. Um, and and really, like, we, while there were, like, I think there's a reference in the book that there were, like, a handful of Jewish uh, convicts uh, and first settlers who came mm-hmm. out, um, there's a very small number, but really the majority of the Jewish population is formed of, Holocaust survivors, which does shape a community, which does give, you know, you have... If that's the basis of the community. Exactly. So So there's a, you know, there's a lot of um, Yiddish speakers here because it's Mm. a a very large percentage of those people that settled here in Melbourne were from Poland and who spoke Yiddish Yiddish in their homes. Um, So it, you know, it has made for, you know, a great tradition in Melbourne of Yiddish... Yiddish theatre and Yiddish culture. There's like a Yiddish day school. There's multiple, you know, um, Jewish Jewish schools here and synagogues. And it really is actually, you know, like a really vibrant community. Um, but yeah, the flavour of it is is like very much, you know, steeped in Holocaust memory, and I suppose a lot of ghosts mm. that 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 you know ghosts and memories um that you know kind of haunt the, haunt the yeah. community um and you know many of those holocaust survivors are no longer with us so you know like it's kind of the, the next the generations to come you know won't won't have those people in their lives so it'll be interesting what that how that impacts the community and how that changes the nature of it yeah um, how it evolves and yeah changes yeah oh, it's so fascinating i constantly <laughs> i'm sorry i i'm gonna have to tell lizzie that she gets many shout outs in this episode but i'm constantly <laughs> i've met lizzie in sydney um, by the way yeah she's wonderful but i'm constantly love hearing about um like all the different holidays and the different foods and things because like just personally there's no comparison when it comes to being culturally catholic like we don't have food or other holidays or anything like once you're like once you're lapsed like you're done and you just feel guilt i still still feel like i can't eat meat on good friday i feel i feel like i have to have fish on good friday but that's about it you end up eating fish on good friday and like being like why am i doing that that's weird and like that's the only thing we have You're like I don't agree with I don't agree with any of this. Well, we can like relate. On the, there's so many things wrong with the Catholic Church, and yet I'm still not eating red meat on Good Friday. <laughs> That's the beauty of being Jewish, because you know, like it's 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 you know, so many people identify as culturally Jewish, not necessarily religious mm. or observant Jews, um, and yet you can you can you can still get away with like doing all the things. <laughs> Yeah. Um, without having to kind of just justify it in some sort of like mm. belief in God way, which is yeah, kind of unique, yeah. I suppose, because in that way we are more of um, you know an ethnicity or a race. Yeah, and I didn't understand that for so religion. long growing up. Like yeah. you know, yeah. as a child learning, like I think I think that I first learned about like Anne Frank when I was probably about 10 and I read this book called Secrets by Jacqueline Wilson and it's all like diaries and stuff and they talk about it and I, you know, found that like fascinating and I was just interested in learning more because I was a little nerd and I still am. Um, And I've always been fascinated with like World War II so I was like, oh, I need to learn more about this. Um, But I didn't understand for so long that, 
it was more I just thought it was a religion and again this is the lack of any I, I also went to a non-denominational school so we didn't have religion classes or anything um and so yeah I just didn't realize and obviously yeah regional Queensland's not a melting pot of um Jewish culture <laughs> so you know I'd or I'd watch tv shows and they'd talk about a bar mitzvah and I was like oh cool yeah like didn't really you don't really understand all the cultural and ethnic elements yeah. that come with Jewishness mm. that are separate from it as a religious practice, which, yeah, is just, it's so interesting. Because, yeah, I don't think there's any other comparison, really. No. And I find it fascinating and I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can convert. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to convert you, though. But, um, yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's interesting. I think, you know, like, you know, one of the bleak ways of looking at it is, like, for example, my grandmother grew up in Poland and she grew up in a Jewish family, but they were quite, like, upper middle class and they weren't religious and they you know really were very proud Poles and loved Polish literature and all of those things um and I think she would have defined herself first as a Pole and and then a Jew but it's like when when you're being persecuted then it, it doesn't matter what who you think you are it's what it's what they think you are and they don't give a shit if you don't go to synagogue or if you, you know, I guess it's this like is something sort of we yeah. see with elements of pride and different parts of the queer community is actually reclaiming that and being like, okay, then we're going to make that our community and we're going to celebrate all of the things that you are saying that we are yeah. like, we, we are, that's going to make us stronger. Yeah, that's right. It, it, it brings you together and it makes you realize the importance of community and what you what what you derive from that but tell us a little bit about your grandmother obviously cookie in the book is a huge part of naomi's life and you know inevitably inevitably when you know you're gonna get i'm sure you've had so many questions probably from like your friends and family being like who am I in the book um but you know like I am like just (laughs) regardless of any relations to the books just tell us a bit about your grandmother I want to know about your grandparents and tell us their story (laughs) just give them a little little bit of love on the podcast yeah a little shout out little shout out um so I yeah my grandmother Marisha was the only grandparent in my life is my father's parents who were from Austria and my mother's father who was from Germany they were all Jews um did died before I was born and um and so really I had one Same. very dominant <laughs> grandparent but she made she made up for the for the lack the lack of others <laughs> Um, so yeah, she was really by, you know, my connection to, to the past and to, to that world. And, you know, I think being the, you know, being the, you know, empathic, um, the empath, the creative, the, the one, the child who asks the questions and wants, you know, and wants to, you know, live in maybe alternate worlds because that's way more fun than just like <laughs> living in this world. I think I, I was always just very 
um, drawn to knowing knowing more about her life and what it was like and what she was prepared to talk about and what she wasn't prepared to talk about and she you know could be quite difficult in that way because she was I suppose like Cookie was would tell you what she wanted you to know and 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 and, and wouldn't um, and wouldn't on other in other areas but she was very loving and really like her family was her world and you know which is sometimes a lot of pressure because you know because especially for my mum and her brother they felt like they had to make up for a lot of loss and and pain that you know she she wouldn't really talk about but that was always present but yeah she was a cool lady she was a cool lady and I miss her and I did I started writing the book just after she died so I think that was it in a way she was was very present in the writing of the book which I think is why Cookie is such a powerful character and you know some some of the joy in that was just and I think with you know the freedom of writing <laughs> a dead person is you know it's it, you, I could really just put her on the page um even though this book is a work of fiction I really drew you know a lot a lot from that relationship um and knowing her as much as as well as I did or as I like to think I did (laughs) yeah yeah so I mean yeah grandparents are so special I love reading about grandparents yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's such a yeah and like it's always you know such unique relationships and and if people you know are lucky enough to grow up with between you know, multiple grandparents as well like the different relationships between you know the different sides of the family or between them is always so interesting as well so yeah do you think she would have liked the book <laughs> is that I a really tough know. question <laughs> I, think I'd be in, I think i'd be in big trouble um <laughs> um i think she was a really big reader she loved reading um she she'd probably think criticize it for being too jewish um she would (laughs) she and she would think the grandmother character was ridiculous uh uh, but i don't know i think she would be very proud uh she was always you know very proud of all of her grandchildren (laughs) and her great grandchildren (laughs) yeah that's so sweet oh yes yeah um yeah michelle i want you to ask your big question about the screenshot you sent me yeah oh no it's not i mean it's probably more of a statement than a question but basically i read this bit so i'm gonna read it out um and i i don't i can't, can't remember what page it's on it's quite early He started telling me about the ski trip, but I was only half listening, looking around, wondering how a person living in the same city as me, in the same job as me, could come to have all of this and know what to do with it. Not just the kids or the house, but the utensils, the artwork, the locks on the doors. And I sent that to Caitlin. I was like, oh my God, we need to like talk about this. Because I think, again, that that idea of there's so many different parts of this book that different people can relate to, but you know the thing that my friends and I have always always, all been talking about is especially the ones who are like literally the same age as me so I turned just turned 29 yesterday and it's this whole idea of thank you (laughs) um this whole idea of the (laughs) pandemic skip and this idea that or the pandemic pause or whatever it was where like I think it was an article in maybe the cut we'll link the article but um 
this idea that during the pandemic you might have been in like a stable relationship you might not have felt like you were really losing anything but now you're like getting closer to needing to decide if you want to have kids and stuff and like you've missed this years of not in my head I'm still like 26 or something (laughs) I don't know what age I am (laughs) and it's it's the pandemic's just like a weird I mean on top of that I moved countries like twice in that time so I feel like I've had like life on pause for a bit you know but like there is that general feeling amount among my friends of this age either who are turning 30 in the next year or two who are like oh like yes we want kids but actually our life looks nothing like we want to and then looking also looking at people who are younger than us like my sister-in-law have two beautiful like have a niece and a nephew and they're amazing Mm. but she's like 23 or 24 and I'm like how are you so growing up? Like I, what? How, how are you? Which is such a common, yeah. it's such it a out. common mid late twenties yeah. thing as well to be like, you're, you know, you're 27, you know, 26, 27, 28 or whatever. And it's like, you, you know, I mean, yeah. I'm single. I've been yeah. in my job or whatever. My best friend is married and lives overseas. You know, it's like, what are we even doing? How are we all doing theoretically the same thing? Yeah, you've got the career sorted. I just remember having. (laughs) (laughs) I just remember wishing, wishing like, I mean, I just wanted to be more run of the mill. Like, I just wanted to be like not so me (laughs) or something. Like, I remember once my mum said to me, "Your expectations are too high." I remember her saying that to me at school. Like, I was talking about, I was talking about. A friendship actually and what you know I you know I wanted more from a friend that she was or something different than she was prepared to give me your expectations are too high and I think that really stuck with me especially like when I was yeah. dating and yeah. like if I could just go for like the you know in, in this case like the the Jewish guy who went and did law or the you know I just like like, know how many many times I just thought yeah gotta be so easy if I just liked living in the country that I was born in and I was happy to just stay in my hometown (laughs) and have kids and be satisfied with that and like I I know that there are people who are but I was like I'm just gonna be miserable if I do that like I really want to move overseas but like it'd just be so much easier if I could just be satisfied (laughs) like Your life must be so much easier. And obviously it's not because everybody has their own I mean, things, but I'm just like, oh. Everyone has yeah, their version of this. Everyone has their own yeah. version of yeah. this. But yeah, yeah, so many times I was like, it would just be so easy if you were just happy to stay here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, how do other people do it <laughs> either? And yeah. Is it yeah. all this big secret that easy. actually none of us have got our shit together? Like, I think that's what the actual answer is. We're all like... How are other people doing it? Like this is the this is the scam of life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just need to be happy within yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boring. Incredibly useful yeah. advice. Like, no, that's not fun. I need something different, and everybody else has it better than me. Thank you. Oh yeah, it just yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah. And like, I, Caitlin, I'm sure you've had the same thing. Like people saying your expectations are too high because you're not just dating anyone. Mm-hmm. Like, 
it's, it's not yeah, that yeah. anyone who walked yeah. in front of me and, but yeah. then just part <laughs> yeah. of me I think like oh god that would be easy like just, I don't know it would be yeah, yeah. I, and I think that I about mean, jobs I, yeah, as well I think I did like, used to date anyone who walked in front of me but I, I but <laughs> but I was dating like so I'm a, a little bit older than you um, I'm assuming and I did date pre-apps mm. and I think that makes a difference yeah because it was still in the olden days of you had to date you know, anyone maybe meeting out. someone <laughs> <laughs> meeting a real creep but you be, met them at the bar instead of online yeah so yeah you had yeah. to like you couldn't immediately <laughs> suss out that they were a creep like from their uh, stalking their profile no, pictures and no. stuff yeah you had definitely had to go home with them first <laughs> and then find out but i think i think there's about so many things i'm like you, you know people who i work with and, and you are like we have the same job and you have like a child like how what like I, I just am not I feel like I'm, and I mean this yeah. is it is just life isn't it but it was just this observation and like a line in the book that you know some people might skip past but I was just like oh Caitlin really like, oh, yes yeah. don't you think yeah. this all the time like I yeah it just is like this, this is, is my Roman empire like yeah. this is what I think about all the time <laughs> How do other people have their shit together? Oh, my God, that's amazing. Is this every woman's Roman Empire? While the men are off thinking about the Roman Empire, we're just, like, having existential crises. Like, oh, God. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Oh I, think, I think you're onto something yeah. there. <laughs> like, instead of, do you guys ever think about dying? It's like, do you guys ever think about how everybody else has, like, got all their shit together and you don't? <laughs> that's the Barbie yeah. sequel. Yeah, existential crisis, Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, anyway, so we did sort of touch on before that, you know, inevitably comparisons with your life and stuff. But and, and we asked how your grandmother may f- have felt about the book. But how has your family and your friends responded to the book, and have they sort of wanted to find out like what bits have inspired them? <laughs> Is that me? Is that so and so? Well, I think the funny thing, um, firstly, like about so Naomi um, works at a Jewish museum and she embarks on a not so successful uh, relationship with with her boss, Josh. Mm-hmm. And I just think that for anyone who's actually worked at like a, a small not-for-profit museum firstly they know that no hot straight men work there <laughs> <laughs> a- <laughs> so, so I think that was a bit of comfort to me because it's true I did work at a Jewish museum not that you asked me but yeah I, I worked in marketing um, at the Jewish Museum in Melbourne and so that was kind of when I didn't plan writing the book, so it just kind Came of up. as, you know, I had the character of Naomi, I had the character of Cookie, you know, straight up. That first scene was like the first thing I wrote and then I knew she was going to meet someone and I knew she was going to meet someone not Jewish and then, okay, okay, she works in the Jewish Museum and, oh, here's this, like, this guy she works with and then, oh, okay, sure, that's what where it's going to go now. So yeah. so I, I, I didn't plan it, but, yeah, I think setting it in the Jewish Museum, like, that was a bit of a comfort to me knowing that, firstly, there were literally, like, it was an, at the time I worked there, um, there were only... Uh, 
women who worked there. <laughs> so um, no one from the museum has said to me that they have seen themselves in the book, which or asked <laughs> if you had an affair with someone. Though the other, <laughs> the, though the other <laughs> yeah, the other day, the other day, um, we, my husband and I were like, we were just leaving a cafe and I waved to someone and he said oh who's that I said oh she, she I worked with her for you know five minutes at the Jewish Museum and he, he, he said did she know Josh I was like she was Josh <laughs> <laughs> no but that was <laughs> <laughs> lies 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 um yeah so it's funny though yeah really good friends is like did you have an affair at the Jewish Museum like no no, no. <laughs> It's like, not memoir. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, I guess I was quite nervous about showing the book to my parents, and that was they after I signed the the publishing contract. I was like, right now, I need to. I need that was like my big hurdle. Did they they, was showing they like them. knew you'd written something though that you just hadn't. Oh um, yeah, hadn't read it. Yeah, yeah. I've been telling them, you know, I've been working on it on a novel, and you know, and I think it's the thing also when you're a first time novelist, and even though I've been writing for years, uh, it feels so wanky and weird to tell people you're working on a novel when you don't have, you know, you don't have an agent, you yeah. don't have a publisher. It's like I'm doing this thing, and people are like. Yep, sure. Good on you. Good for you. Yeah. 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 So or, or alternatively now they so, might go down the route of like, oh, you know, you can self-publish on Amazon. And you're like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. All of yeah. that. All of that. Um, so, it's it, you know, when it was real, I was like, okay, so this is happening now. And yeah. um, so that they read a first draft, which, you know, is quite – well, yeah, it wasn't the first draft, but it was the draft that I pitched to publishers with. And, you know, so it moved quite a, a ways along from that. But, yeah, that was my scary moment. But, yeah, now all my family have read it. My brothers have read it. I uh, got very nice text messages from both of them, which is like I don't – my <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're not super expressive. Aww. So that was like, wow, they, my brothers, they love me. Oh, they like the book anyway. Um, so, you know, it's been, it's been really, it's been really nice. Yeah, amazing. And, you know, obviously yeah, you mentioned awesome. that you've been working um, and you've been writing for a while. So that seems like a good place to dive into that. Um, so how do you go from playwright to novelist? And how did that sort of path to publication happen? Well, I had been, at the time that I was working on it, I think I, no, before, so, yeah, I've been working as a playwright for quite a few years, um, trying to think what led to how, you know, the order of things, but I was, I started, sorry, I'm, my brain's okay. dead. I've been, I've actually been in the theatre all day. I'm in week one of rehearsal at Melbourne Theatre Company. And so, because it's a new work that I've written and um, in the first week of rehearsal, we kind of breaking down the script and it's kind of like the last hurrah of me making final changes. So, okay, my, yeah, big week. so in terms of like going from novel writing to playwriting, my brain is like, Okay, so which character am I talking about now? Again? <laughs> yeah. I, have, I have all these other characters in my head yeah. right now who are very busy. Yeah, of course. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I kind of, it was a bit random. I felt, felt for quite a while that I'd been wanting to write 
a novel or more that I could write a novel. It was more, mm -hmm. I kind of was, felt like, I don't know, in the, it was something in the ether, like everyone I spoke to seemed to be writing a novel and kind of started to give me the shits or something. I was like, you know, when there's just something that too. starts to eat away at you <laughs> and you're like, and it was, it, it was kind of, yeah, just on my mind. And after my grandmother died, I, I kind of had the realization, like I, I just, I really want to write a novel. And so I made the, made the decision and started working on it. Um, but I didn't really have much of much of a plan at some at, at at one stage I was thinking about doing a PhD as you know and I got all the way to like um doing my proposal and had a supervisor and that whole thing and then I'd wake up in the middle of the night and go oh, I don't want to have to do like an, an, an exegesis about my novel oh my god and it was almost like the fear of having to do that pushed me to finish like, like I can do this I can finish this novel myself <laughs> without a PhD yeah so <laughs> but it was like different different steps along the way of like yeah. you know prompts and motivators um but yeah I did uh I did end up very fortunately finding an agent um which kind of happened I was doing an event for Melbourne Jewish Book Week and I was reading a, a story that I'd written and uh and and the person who was facilitating the event um put me on to you know, knew I was writing a novel and put me on to my agent and luckily my agent wanted to take me on. So, yeah, so it kind of all fell into place in a, in a really good way. Obviously you were just sort of saying about like being in the first week of rehearsals for a new play and everything. How did, how did writing a novel and publishing it as well than writing a play apart from the fact that I'm sure it's yeah. longer yeah. <laughs> um sorry and I realized it's a very I very long process I didn't an answer your question because you said how did you go from playwriting to novel writing and I didn't That's answer right. that no so, right. you, you yeah. answered it it's like because it's not like you're not a playwright now you're still a playwright I had a good answer for this the other day and now it's just completely gone uh I think I, <laughs> I think that um in a play, you really have to communicate so much and be so efficient to be able to communicate a world and characters in such a short space of time. You know, yeah. you have maybe, let's say, one and a half hours to, if then if you maybe want to chuck in an interval, maybe another hour to really, like, tell your story. I'm not a big fan of intervals, so, like, the play I'm working on at the moment is, like, one probably, like, one Just and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and you, you, you just, you have to be so efficient and so clear in terms of like constructing this world. Uh, and, yeah. and with the novel, it just was, it gives you permission to be as expansive as you want. Um, yeah, and I know you can do time. that. I know you can do that in theater as well. Um, and you can communicate that through so many different ways, whether that be through set or through, um, sound and lighting you have all these amazing things to help you tell your story um but in terms of using the words you with a novel I just I I did find it quite liberating um being being able to really kind of sit in certain places yeah. and certain ideas characters um that you could have as many characters as you want to use 
so many words <laughs> yeah like so many more words yeah yeah um so yeah I think in that way it was a really nice kind of departure and quite and quite liberating for me and interestingly you know you're you're you're, you're much more alone with writing the novel you know with a play once you have the script you know I really feel like then you give it over and yeah it's it's really shaped by the actors on the stage and all those amazing other elements that are going to do your storytelling for Yeah, I was going to ask about that, like how, because obviously putting a play together is so collaborative and it's not that publishing isn't collaborative, but I guess all the decisions sort of do rest on you in the end. So the actual publication process must feel so different to being in tech week and running through your play and being first week of rehearsals. Yeah, it's it's very different and it's funny how kind of differently the worlds operate. I think yeah, I think it's like having 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 that realization that it's that it's really all on you. I mean, the way I write with theater is I write quite um sparse, sparsely. I leave quite you know, I like writing with an open dramaturgy, which means I'm not like telling I don't have loads of stage directions or you know, I I love giving that over and and seeing what happens you know the magic of working with a director and and letting it go from there um whereas whereas yeah I did have I really enjoyed the editing process I loved my editor who gave me the structural edit Joe Mackay um I had an amazing time with my copy editor Annabelle Blay like really blessed working with amazing people and uh uh but but yeah, it's it's very different. <laughs> Is it something you're keen to do again? Well, I do have a two book deal, so <laughs> you're yes, like, whether I, I like it, it or again. not, I signed the contract. contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've got a second um, a second book that I've already been working on, uh, so that is in the works and yes I loved it I love I loved novel writing I want to keep doing it and I love playwriting want to keep doing that and you know and if I get an opportunity to do some screenwriting I'd love to do that Uh, I think it's just it's fun to play I come from like a you know I I want I was desperately wanted to be an actor that you know I'm a failed loser actor who didn't get into drama school um (laughs) not for lack of trying (laughs) but you know I think I think you know my my brain does really uh you know I'm very like driven by character and by you know I can hear the characters they really come to life in my in my head and I before I see anything else it's you know it's it's the characters that speak to me um, and sometimes I speak for them, like I recorded my audio book. <laughs> yeah, cool. You did? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's so interesting. Was... That's not very common with fiction. Yeah, it was, part of my, it was part of my fantasy that, like, when I was writing it, I was like, I would think about it I a love lot. this. <laughs> that's so cool. But so much so that, like, I, I even, like, I think initially Moses was from New Zealand, and I was like, I don't know if I can do a New Zealand accent. It's going to be from Tasmania. So, yeah, better change that then. But yeah, I had to audition for the audio book. 
so I was a bit nervous and so I think cool. I think um Joe my publisher she's like she didn't want to get my hopes up she was like oh because she because she knew that it's not not that yeah I can imagine they were like and, um they might um, not let you <laughs> so I was like I got it I got the part <laughs> that's, that's so, so cool, cool. Oh my gosh! I know it's actually really hard to do. So <laughs> yeah, well, that was I was going to say. How did you find that? Because recording the audiobook like is such a slog. Obviously, it's it is more common for nonfiction authors to do it, so that like their memoir or whatever is in their voice. Yeah. Um, and for fiction, again, as you joke with like voices, actors do yeah. it, and it's like it's very a real specific. But skill <laughs> reading your own book out loud that way, like was that. I mean, you know, with nonfiction, we hear it all the time. We're like, they go, oh, no, there's a typo. We need to change it. And it's like, the book's already been printed. Like, I how did you find reading it out? Well, I thought I found a typo, but then I realized I was just exhausted, <laughs> which was a real oh. relief. I was like, I'm just reading it wrong. This is great. It's like when you have, like, a little mental breakdown and then you get your period and you're like, oh, I wasn't crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, just hormones. Every month. Everyone. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, Such yeah. a relief. <laughs> um, yeah, it it was I had a fun time. Like I think the yeah, the the funniest bits was reading the sex scenes. Um mm. and I you know, my producer was like this very sweet twenty twenty eight year old guy. <laughs> like you know, he was like so we'll just take that take it from cock both of us and he's 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 like um he was so polite I could I, I was like would sometimes lose it and he was just which sometimes makes you laugh so even more very professional like... not unlike me yeah 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 oh my god that's totally. amazing so the audiobook read by you also out now that is so cool. That's pretty much all of our questions. Um, thank you so much for, for sharing all of that with us. It's been so much fun to chat. And thank you for letting us be like really ignorant. Be like, tell us about Judaism Australia. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, it's all right. Next time I'm going to put a glossary in. No, just joke. I mean, does anyone um... actually read and remember that anyway? <laughs> Whenever I see like a map or a family tree, I'm like, I'm going to forget that in a second. Like, no. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Never look don't at those names anyway, yeah. if that makes you feel better. <laughs> okay. Great. Can you please tell us where people can find and follow you? Sure. Um, Instagram at Elise Estherhurst. Yeah, that's me. That's where I am. <laughs> and as we sort of, as Caitlin mentioned before, obviously HarperCollins is like, oh, sorry, Harlequin is like the imprint of HarperCollins, which is where Caitlin works, <laughs> but that, you know, we always put a bit of a disclaimer to say that's not why we had you on the podcast. No. This book would have been on our radar regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been so wonderful to it's chat. It's been amazing. I had to ask and pitch to your publicist, Natika, like <laughs> I would with anyone else. Ah, <laughs> uh, Natika, what a legend. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> and, yeah, congratulations on the book. Good luck with the play. I hope that rehearsals go well. Thank you. Um, and yeah. took us for opening night whenever that may yeah, be. Yeah, thank you so much. It's in opens in um I think eighteenth of November, so yes. Come to Melbourne if you That's actually quite quick. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> That's quite I quick. know, once they're starting rehearsals, it's like go, go, go. Yeah. 
Thank you so much. We will include a link um, to that in the show notes so that people can check Amazing. it out. Amazing. Um, so, yeah. Cool. Thank you. thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at Better Words Pod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review.